spotlight for tonight. A lot of top contenders, a lot of uh, good possibilities. Courtney over here, fantastic. You can't see it right now. He integrated the lime green Argyle sock. Only man in America, I, I can say that with some confidence, only man in America with an extensive collection of Argyle socks, but somehow he has one to match all the shirt colors. Fancy. Show it off. <laughs> Outstanding work right there. So honorable mention, <laughs> honorable mention to Courtney. Nathan Torrance went to a whole new level. He went with the summer chic look over here. He has the black shirt, gray shorts with a black and red plaid pattern on it. But the way, we're really up the ante for us tonight. And they, hold the, hold the flip-flop up for us. On the sole of the flip-flop on the inside is the exact same pattern as his shorts. So that's a whole different level of, that's a whole different level of summer good looking right there. But tonight, what's that? You're feeling good about that, aren't you? Courtney, Courtney actually went like this. He went, I, th I, think, I think he liked what you had going on over there. But tonight, tonight it's, a, uh, it's a couplescape. They uh, really came together. They, two, two outfits, not necessarily matching, not Grand Canyon worthy, but, but outfits that complement each other extremely well. The whites, Daniel and Katie back here, please stand up for us and show this off. All right, stay, stay. That's, that's a look that says, I'm casual, yet I could be functional. I could be stylish. I could go to work. I could go to dinner. I'm anybody you want me to be. So give it up for the whites right there. Couple fashion spotlight tonight. <laughs> See, it paid off for you. Big dividends. We have a uh, peppermint back there for you. So congratulations on that. Um, here's where we've been. We've, we've been looking at the idea of living this integrated life and kind of moving past. Hi, Kim. <laughs> and y'all have a good night, everybody. See you later. Um, we've been talking about this idea of living this, living an integrated life, about moving past this segmented or compartmentalized life, or moving past this idea that we're juggling all these different roles and responsibilities, we're putting on all these different masks, and so trying to really figure out how to live this complete, whole, integrated life that's not dependent upon time, circumstance, or climate. And what David, David got at last week was the idea that getting this mindset that we're on a mission and, and kind of changing our mindset and perspective on what the Great Commission is really all about. It's not about necessarily being in Africa or going on a short-term trip to Costa Rica. It's about living a lifestyle of mission. And I think if you go on a global perspective and start thinking about this idea of mission, and by the way, you have an outline. It's not really an outline. It's more a kind of a scattering of thoughts that went down a half sheet of paper. Um, you don't have to fill anything in. It can help guide you. There's some scripture that attaches to it. But don't feel like you have to follow it exactly. I, I probably won't. But we, this idea that we're on a mission, that we're, we have this purpose or direction, and it's not necessarily dependent upon time, circumstance, or situation, that wherever we are, wherever we're going, wherever our, uh, our Judea, Samaria, or the ends of the earth may happen to be, that we're on a mission. So when we wake up in the morning, we walk out, we're on a mission. When we go into our workplace, if it's the Home Depot, as, as we so effectively hit last week, if it's the Home Depot, we're on a mission going in there. If, if I'm working at First Baptist in the, uh, in, the, in, the, in the school, raising up 
this incredibly cute two-year-old boy named Webb. If I'm working over there, when I go in, I'm on a mission going into that place. So it's consistently applying and having a mindset of today, this moment, this time, this place, I'm on a mission. And I think if you went global big picture with it, in, in, in 1 John 4.16 it says that God is love. And so if God is love and we want to be a people that are about God, we want to be a people that are being conformed into the likeness and the image of, of Jesus, if we want to be a people that walk and talk and live like Jesus, then big picture, big perspective, our mission is that we are to be a people of love. And in order to love God, in order to love Him, we need to know Him. We need to know about who He is, understand His heart and His character and His direction and His vision for, his li- for our life. We need to understand what He thinks about us, who He thinks we are, how He's put us together, the skills, the talents, the, the, the different unique qualities that He's given each one of us. We need to know that. And I think this, I think the more that we know about the character and the heart of God, the more we fall in love with Him. And so it's this, it's this cycle of He loves us, He desires for us to love Him, He desires for us to know Him, so the more that we know Him, the more that we love Him, and the more that we love Him, the more that we want to make Him known. And, and so I think when you talk about I'm on a mission, our mission, big picture, global, is to know Him, to love Him, and to live a life that makes Him known. And so that's not dependent upon me going overseas, it's not dependent upon me being on this big international trip or going on the great race around the world for 11 months. It's I'm waking up on Thursday morning and going here into the Kroger and I'm on a mission. I'm going to love him. I'm going to make him known in this place at this time. And, and, and you get to these ideas, these thoughts, these big picture things, and sometimes the practical application side of that gets a little bit, a little bit fuzzy, a little bit gray. I think when you talk about the Stonebridge Three, you hear David consistently talk about these three ideas. Kim calls them the Holy Trinity of Stonebridge. And if you, if you want to see something, Kim put together a fantastic visual today that involved folding of paper. It, it's like spiritual origami. It, it's a whole new world. It, it has this head thing that peaked. No, it doesn't. It's a, but if you talk about this Stonebridge Three, the three foundational ideas, these three ideas are built around knowing him and making him known. Uh, John Piper refers to it as this, he refers to it as making much of him in this world. And, and so if you look at the Stonebridge stone 3, Romans 8.29, that we're being conformed into his likeness, that we're becoming more like him. We come to one life, we engage in small groups, we have prayer time, we come on Tuesday nights, we come on Sunday mornings. Through all of our interaction with him, through each other, we're in this process of conforming and becoming more and more like him, falling more in love with him as we know more about who he is. And if you go to Ephesians 2.10, that he's put us together in this fashion with these skills, with these tools, and we're in the process of becoming more like him so that we can do this deal where we are at this time and this place. And then the third hinge of that is this idea of connecting with the heart of Marietta. We were having a conversation the other day about Marietta. Some of the people that go to Stonebridge don't necessarily live in Marietta. This isn't, this isn't your place. This isn't your community. Some of you are East Cobb. Some of you are out in Kennesaw. Some of you are out in Ackworth. And so Marietta, for you, may not necessarily mean this square, these schools here. It may not mean Park Street Elementary. Your Marietta may be a little bit different, but it doesn't matter. That you're to connect with your Marietta using the skills and the talents that he's given you because you love him and you're becoming more like him as you go. 
And so the idea that we're on a mission kind of falls under that. Uh, Sunday, yesterday, what day is today? Wednesday? Sunday, David, David spoke about this idea from Matthew, 8, 8, uh, Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. He said, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I think there are two keys to that. The first key is, he says, go. That we're being sent, that we're being pushed out, that we're being commissioned for this mission, for this purpose of knowing him and making much of him in our world where we are. And the last part of that says, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Hang on to that part. And we'll kind of, we'll loop back to that in a little bit. But hang on to the part where it says, surely I'm with you. I've commanded you. I've commissioned you. I've placed this on you and in you for you to do this. I want you to go, and I want you to be confident that I'm with you no matter where you're going and what you're doing. Acts 1.8 says, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The part I want you to hang on to there is power. And what David talked about Sunday was, not only have we been commissioned, we've been given authority to go and do this. We've been given authority to go and do this mission, but we've also been given this power of the Holy Spirit to do it and have, and have success. Not success from a worldly standpoint, but success from an eternal standpoint because he's given us the power to accompany the authority to go and do this. Does that, does that make sense? Is that clear? Okay, so... You put, start putting the pieces together, and we're going to get into the table discussion relatively quickly here in a second. But when you start putting the pieces together, our mission is to love him and to make him known and, and to make much of him in our world where we are. Us as a church, as a body, say that our purpose and direction is to understand that we're going to become more like him and also understand the idea that he's given us this skill set and talent to go and do his work where we are and the fact that we have power and the Holy Spirit to do it. And so the question for us starts to become then, okay, where? And if you're following along in your fantastic outline, that's the next bump down. The idea of where, and I don't think it's this. I don't think the question is, where do we do it? I think the question is, where aren't we doing it? You know, your homework question was, where do you see God at work, or where have you seen him at work, and, and, and how did you engage in that, or how did you move into that? I think for us a big question is, not where are we supposed to go, where are we supposed to be doing this. The question is, where are we not allowing it to happen? Where, where's our block? Think of it this way. Where is it that I check him at the door, or where is it that I put him in a bag and hide him so that people won't see him? Is it when I go to work? For some of us, I would say this. Some of us, our biggest challenge isn't living him out and making much of him in our workplace. For some of us, that's relatively easy. For some of us, a bigger challenge is, knowing him, loving him, and making much of him in our family. I think for some of us, that's our biggest challenge. We check him at the door when we go to family reunions. We check him in the door when we go to this side of the family. And you think family, it's, it's husband and wife, it's father, it's son, it's, it's mother, it's daughter, it's grandparents, it's extended family, the, the weird ones that you only see at those family reunions that you try to figure out why you're going in the first place. And you show up and you're like, I don't even know who these people are, but you're supposed to give them a hug anyway. And you tell your kids to give them a hug. It's okay. Don't worry. All those family reunions where you have the distant relatives. Some of you, it's these soon-to-be family members. 
I'm about to be a part of this family and this side of the family. They don't understand and know who this Jesus is. And so I need to check him at the door. Not only do they not understand who he is, they're flat out resistant to who he is and what he's doing. So I need to check him at the door or I hide him in the back. I had a kid in class one time, made it through the entire day. I taught her sixth period, made it through the entire day. She's sitting in my class and her bag starts moving. Halfway through class, bag starts moving. And I'm like, what is that? And she goes, nothing. I go, your bag's moving. That's not nothing. Something's happening in there. And she goes, well, I said, open your bag. She opens her bag. She's made it through the entire day without anybody noticing this. And in her bag was a chihuahua. Had it one of those little bags. She had a little dog whole head thing in it. You know what I'm talking about? Where the thing just pops out like it's a kid's toy. She had a chihuahua, made it through the entire day without anybody noticing it. And next thing you know, it comes out. Some of us try to hide Jesus in the same way. We try to put him in a bag when we go into our workplace or when we go into this side of the family or we're in these social settings. We're at Little League, right? Some of you, it's the social settings you get into. It's birthday club. It's, 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 it's dinner club, supper club, whatever those things are. You're in, you're in a supper club and you do that. For some of you, you are in men's basketball, like, like our heroes of the hardwood who won the church league championship back in, in the winter. You're going to church lead. Some of us, it's I check him at the door there. This group of guys, they're not really into that, so I check him at the door. right? So it, the, the harder part for us is figuring out where is it that, that I check him at the door or that I hide him until I'm coming out of that situation. And I, and I think that's a personal thing. I think it's a matter of for you individually, what's that tough place for you? For some of you, you start looking at it and it's like, I hide him everywhere. I have a hard time making much of him anywhere. My family knows too much about my past. They know too much of my dirt. They know too much of the stuff that I engaged in PJ before Jesus. You know, I, they, they know too much of my life before that. So I can't act this thing out because they're going to say, hey, remember, I know what you did. I know more of your heart. And so we just hide it or stuff it away until we get back out and we can put back on, okay, I'm a Christian again. And so figure out for you, process through in your life, not where is it that I'm supposed to live this out, but where is it that I keep him out? Where is it that I check him at the door or I put him in a bag and I, and I hold off of him? The second thing down says, how do I do this? How, how do I make much of him in these different environments, whether it's family or it's, it's, it's my social settings and network or it's my workplace? How do I do that? And I think the easy thing is, we get caught up in this evangelistic mindset of, okay, I'm supposed to go into my workplace and start passing out tracts, and we're at the copy machine, and, and the guy's making copies. Hey, you know who makes really good copies? Jesus. Jesus makes good copies, and you give him a track, and next thing you know, bam, this big salvation happens. And, and the reality of it is, unless you hear him speaking specifically to you, saying maybe even audibly, Jesus makes great copies, I don't think that's your best approach. And I don't think he'd say, I want you to make much of me through copies. I think what he would say is this, I want you to do what you do. I want you to do Romans. I want you to do Ephesians. I want you to live a life that looks more like me. Because if you're, if you're loving me and becoming more like me, it, it's my grace. It's my mercy. It's my words that are coming out of you. I'm going to give you words to speak. I'm going to give you a heart to love, right? You want to try something radical at your workplace? 
Pray this every day before you go in. Pray as you're walking in the door. Or even if it's going into your family or your social settings, whatever it may be, pray this. Say, Lord, I want you to break my heart for what's broken in the people I'm about to see. Lord, I want you to break my heart for what's broken in these people that I'm about to encounter today. And then bring tissues and then get ready for what's going to happen. I, I remember distinctly, there, there, are, there are people that are hard to work with. Let's be honest. There are people that you go to work with that you're like, I don't like you. I don't like I don't like the way you look. I don't like the way you act. I don't like the things that you do. You lack integrity. You treat people awful. I don't like you. But then you start to dig into it and you realize there's a reason this person acts like they do. There's a reason this person is living out of this place of brokenness. And so, Lord, I want you to break my heart for what's broken in them. I want you to give me your grace. I want you to give me your mercy so that I can be a person that speaks life and not joins in this folly. We, 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 I had a boss that I worked for a couple years ago, and, and, and we'll withhold names to protect the innocent. But I had a guy that I worked with. He literally was the single most you know, unscrupulous, immoral person that I've, I've ever encountered. No, no fundamental integrity, didn't treat people well. The result of what he did was carnage everywhere. The entire workplace, all the employees... Everything about the building was wrapped up in resisting, pushing back against, being resentful of, being bitter about, including me, being bitter about this guy. And, and being a good guy, a good Christian who says, Lord, I want to go after you. I want to know you. I want to make much of you. I want to make you known. My heart should have been, Lord, break me for what's broken in him that makes him treat people like he does. And instead of that, I simply blended into the woodwork and said, I'm going to be a part of the gossip. I'm going to be a part of the slander. I'm going to be a part of the pushback to what this guy is doing. And so if I want to live him out in this place, it's not about me passing out tracks at the coffee machine. It's not about me saying, hey, do you know this guy Jesus? Hey, it's about me living a life. And I, and I, always, I always told my students this as we were going through. The best way that you're going to say this is who Jesus is is that you live a life that ask a question that demands an answer. That you live a life that's so undeniably uncommon, that you live a life that's so undeniably something other than just you being a good guy, that you live a life that so strongly points directly back to who he is that people have to ask you, what is it about you that makes you different from everybody else? That brings people to a place where they have to ask a question about their own life that demands a response for it. And so if I'm going to do this, how do I do this in those places where I'm dropping him off at the door or putting him in a bag? It's by being and by doing. It's about Romans, about becoming more like him, about having a heart and a character that's growing to become more like him. It's about embracing his love and his mercy, about having eyes that see into people, not just see superficially what they're doing and the outcome of it. And it's about doing what he's calling you in to do. Now, the hard part about that is, how do I, how do I hear? We, we, do, we talk about hearing what God's doing and hearing what God wants you to do or seeing where God's leading you or taking you or, or sensing and moving. How do you do that? That's the hard part. That discernment part of it is hard. I think this. How many of you, when you go to whatever your place is where you're keeping them out or you have a hard time inviting them in, 
How many of you have an expectation that he can, that he desires to, and that he will move in that place, and that he will use you to do it? I think a big part of it on the front side, if I want to hear him and experience and be a part of what he's doing, I have to have the expectation that he wants to, and that he can, and that he will. And I also need to have the expectation that he's put me together like this. If you go through Psalm 139, there's like that moment of revelation in Psalm 139, 13, and 14, where he says, Lord, wonderful are the works of your hand. Everything that you make is fantastic. It's wonderful. It's awesome. And then there's like that revelation moment where he realizes, wait a second, you knitted me together. You put me together. You made me like this. And so if everything you make is awesome, fantastic, wonderful, and you made me, what that means is I'm awesome, fantastic, wonderful, amazing also. And so the question is, why? Why did you put me together like this? Why did you make me wonderful? Why did you make me fantastic? And the answer is so that you could go into Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, Jerusalem, Marietta, Ackworth, Kennesaw, I put you together like this so you could go into these places and live this life that's undeniably uncommon and that you can make much of me. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put him in me. And if I'm going to discern what he's doing in this place at this time, I have to have the expectation that he's doing something at this place at this time and that I can connect and engage with what he's doing. And so if I have this expectancy that it's going to happen, then I can be attentive to what he's saying. And it, some, sometimes it's simply this. I'm in a room, and I see somebody, and for whatever reason, that person, this situation, it just stirs my heart. I, I, I had this girl in class years and years ago, and she was absolutely, you could sit physically, she was shut down. Physically, she was here, she combed her hair down. Everything about her was, was just here and she was tight, and she was closed off, and, 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 and I couldn't get through. I, and normally teaching, you can have quick connections with kids, quick breakthrough, quick relationship, and it's going to work. I, I couldn't do anything to get through. This was, this was eight months into the school year, and I just couldn't. I, I was frustrated because I knew there was something there that was binding her up, and I couldn't get into it, but the Lord kept placing on my heart, keep going, keep going, keep going. And one day we're having a conversation with the class. I said something about music, and I noticed her head popped up. And I'm like, okay, that doesn't happen. And so when I noticed her head pop up and it was music, the key that unlocked her was also Sprock Zarathustra. Anybody? Anyone? Music Appreciation 101, Presbyterian College. Go Blue Host. Also Sprock Zarathustra is a work by Wagner I don't know where it came from. I took Music of Pre-101. I'm the most unmusical person in the history of the planet. Out of nowhere, we're talking music. Also, Strzok Zarathustra, poof, on the table. She opened up. She opens up, and it's, okay, I have access. From there, we started digging this dirt and pulling through the process of she'd been abused at home in, in, in the most awful of ways. She starts unpacking that. Through that, we get into... Jesus. We get into love. We get into grace. We get into mercy. This is about an eight-month process at this point. One day I'm sitting in class in, in my room during lunch with, with, with Bobby. Bobby's the character ed coach up at Georgia with the football team. Don't hold that against him. And, and we're sitting there in our room, and she comes in, and she says, 
you know that thing we've been talking about? And I'm like, we've been talking about a lot of things. And I said, which, which thing? And she says, you know that, that, that Jesus thing that we've been talking about? And I said, I know that Jesus thing, yeah. And she says, I, I, I want to do that. that. That's what I want to do. And, and so we sat there, classroom, Laster High School, room 319, and she said, I'm giving my life to him because it's the only thing in my life that's made sense. From there, she went on. She went to Summer Beach product, Project in college at the University of, of Charlotte. She went to Duke Divinity, and now she is a, 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 a preacher somewhere in, in North Carolina. That, that's, that's simply being attentive and in tune with what he's doing. He's moving, he's alive in this place at this time, and he says, I want to use you to get involved with that. And so how do I do that? I expect it to happen. I'm attentive to what he's saying, what he's stirring in my heart. And the last part of that is I'm obedient to what he's doing. When I hear that urging, when I feel that push, when I feel, okay, you're saying I want you to go talk about this, I, I'm quick to obey and I say I'm going to engage what you're doing. So the question also that is, why don't we do that? Why, why don't we obey quickly? Why don't we move into and engage with what he's doing quickly? And I think the big answer there is, is simply fear. You, you can package it any way you want to. Well, it's the workplace and I might lose my job. I'm afraid of that, right? That, that, that's a fear. It's the workplace. Is it legal? That's a fear. It's the, what are people going to think of me? That's a fear. It's a, well, this isn't the proper time. You don't know this person. That's a fear. And so I think if you package it all up and said, why don't we engage in what he's doing? Why don't we move into what he's calling us into? Why don't we do our deal and make much of him in this place? It's all packaged into this idea of fear. And I kind of go back to the, the, the part we talked about at the beginning. When we, when we were looking at Acts 1-8, or excuse me, with Matthew 28, it says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. 1 John 4.18 says, there's no fear in love. 1 John 4.16 says, God is love. So if God is love, and I want to be about God and be about what God's about, God's about love, and if God is love and I'm about God, there's no fear in love, I'm not going to fear. I'm not going to worry about job security. I'm not going to worry about what people are going to think. I'm not going to worry about people taking this junk from my past and trying to throw it back into my face. I'm simply going to be obedient because that's what God's about. And then 1 John 2.6 says, Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Jesus walked with expectancy. Jesus walked with attention. Jesus walked with authority. Jesus walked with power. And in Acts 1.8, it says you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. We, we, we live in a time when the Holy Spirit is still active, is still alive, is still real. And if I say I'm a Christian, if I say Jesus is my Savior and I believe in him, we have that same authority and power to move and act. And so the last thing at the bottom says, what if? What if John 5.19? John 5.19 says, Jesus gave them this answer, answer. Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. What, what, what if John 5.19? What if I only did and moved and spoke and acted in areas 
where I felt him move and lead me. And wherever he felt, wherever I felt him move and lead me, and I felt him moving my heart and stirring my heart, what if I responded like he would respond? What if I chose to get, what if I chose to get involved? That's, that's the move. And so the uh, discussion questions are going to be on the board. Um, let me pray for us and, and, and let you get into that. I, I think it's this. Where, where are you blocking? Where, where is it in your life that you're afraid to let him break out? Where is it in your life that you're afraid to walk like Jesus walked and to be obedient to what he's calling you to do? How do you overcome that? And for you on a personal level, how is it that you personally feel him speaking to you? How do you, is it, I see somebody and for whatever reason my heart's drawn to them, uh, I feel this tugging that I need to act and respond, and, and the question off of that is why don't you? And so they'll be up on the board. Let me pray for us, and uh, let's have a great discussion. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you, Lord, so much uh, for this night, for this time, for these small groups and conversations. Uh, Lord, I pray this. I pray that you would have great breakthrough in our lives. I pray, I pray that when we looked at our lives, look at our lives, there'd be absolute integrity, that there's no place where we can say, I'm checking you at the door, or I'm going to hide you in a bag until I come back out. I pray that you would have total access and free reign. I pray that we would be quick to hear and respond, that we'd be obedient in our hearts. And Lord, I pray that we would live a life that, that asks a question, that demands an answer, that brings people to a place of response, not for our sake, but for yours. Lord, I pray that we would live lives that would make much of you. It's in your awesome and mighty name we pray. Amen.